Colossians. Have you ever heard terms like these or statements like these? Lord, bless the missionaries. Or maybe you ever heard, the least I can do for you is pray for you. Or maybe you've heard somebody say, take this with a grain of salt. All of those are statements uh, that tend to make us believe that in some ways that talk is cheap. But Though that is a popular statement, talk is cheap, may I encourage you as a believer in Christ Jesus that our talk should not be cheap. As a believer in Christ, our talk should not be cheap. Christians need to realize that talk is not cheap, that in reality that our speech does cost us something and it is worth something. And we're going to see that here in Colossians chapter 4 this evening as we study out verses 2 through 6 tonight. And this lesson I've entitled, Talk is Not Cheap. Talk is Not Cheap. Colossians 4.2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which also I am in bonds, that I may make, manif- make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Tonight we're going to notice three descriptions on what our speech should be like as believers. Three descriptions. The first description that he gives to us is that our speech should be a prayerful speech. We should be praying Christians. Amen? I mean, we should. We should all be praying Christians. Uh, The second thing about our speech that we notice is this, is that our language should be preaching. We should have preaching in our language. We should be evangelizing. We should be proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, our speech should be pleasurable. It should be pleasurable in the sense that it is bringing grace to the hearers. It's seasoned with salt. It's gracious speech. It's good speech. And when our speech is characterized by these qualities, our talk will not be cheap. Our talk will not be cheap. Too often we flap our lips and really nothing's coming out. In a multitude of words, the Bible says, it wanteth what? Not sin. We've got to be so careful with our tongues. And as believers, I think that our responsibility to be careful with our tongues is even greater. But we see, first of all, that our speech ought to be prayerful. And he says that very plain in verses 2 and 3. He says it twice. He says continue in prayer. And in verse number 3 he says with all praying also for us. Paul's letters are always full of prayers and prayer requests. It's really interesting if you went back to Colossians chapter number 1 and read those first few verses. I believe it's 9 through 12. That you would find a prayer that Paul prays for the Colossian believers. In fact, he does this many times in his epistles. He does it in the book of Ephesians and also in 1 Thessalonians. He actually prays a prayer in the epistle. And he writes it down for us. He records his prayer. But also, Paul is one to give prayer requests. He's not ashamed to do so. I find it interesting that here is this great apostle of God 
that saw mighty wonders. He did wonderful works. He preached and literally lots of people were saved. Many churches were started. And here is a man that was dedicated by God. He saw the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Think about this. And here is a man that still says, I need your prayers. I need your prayers. That to me shows humility. That to me shows that if Paul needs his, if Paul needed people's prayers, how much more do I need people's prayers? Amen. Isn't it a delight when people pray for you? Isn't it wonderful when somebody comes up to you and says, I've been praying for you? I've been praying for you. Isn't it wonderful whenever somebody prays for you out loud? We talked about that last week. And Paul is not ashamed to be, he's not so high up on the food chain, you might say, that he can't have somebody pray for him. I have heard people say this before, well, don't pray for me. You ever heard anybody say that? I don't need your prayers. Uh, Don't pray for me. Please don't pray for me. Or I don't like to ask people to pray for me. People that say things like that are simply just not spiritual, but also they are ignorant and unfaithful to the Word of God. Because the Word of God teaches us that we need people to pray for us. We need this. And when somebody asks you to pray for, and when somebody asks to pray for you, I hope that you always say, yes, please pray for me. I need it. But how should we pray? He tells us three ways. He says in verse number one, he says, or verse number two, he says, continue in prayer. It means we ought to be faithful in our prayers. We ought to not stop praying. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, that it says, pray without what? Ceasing. Don't quit. Never stop. Always continue to pray. The word means to, the word continue means to attend to assiduously, uh, diligently, attentively, tirelessly. Don't ever stop. Don't ever quit. In this work of prayer, don't give up. The word continue means that's a very simple thing. Don't give up. You know, we are all tempted to give up on prayer when God doesn't hear us the very first time. That was supposed to be a joke, okay? All right, it kind of fell flat right there, all right? But isn't that true? I mean, if we pray for something one time and God doesn't answer, we say, well, God didn't answer me. And we may say, well, we really got faithful with it and we pray three times. And God doesn't answer. I mean, where is your limit at when you're praying for somebody? When you know it is the will of God, when you know it is the will of God, what is your limit? Do you have a limit? Do you say there is no limit? You say, I'm going to keep praying because I know this to be the will of God. We must be faithful to continue to pray. And we must be faithful to continue to pray for the ministry. That's what Paul's specific prayer request here is. Pray for our ministry. Pray for us. And pray for these missionaries. That's the thing that we can pray for. We ought to pray for the missionaries. We ought not to say, Lord, bless the missionaries. We ought to actually pray for a specific missionary and a specific need in a missionary. You ought to pray for your pastor. You ought to pray for your family. You ought to pray for your children by name. Amen? You ought to pray for uh, your lost co-workers, your lost friends, your family. Pray for the world. Pray for everybody. Pray for all men is what 1 Timothy says. So be faithful. Don't stop. Continue on. Let your speech be a prayerful speech. And then he says, let it be watchful. He says, let it be watchful. He says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. In the same of what? In the same vein of prayer. Watch in prayer. That means, what does it mean to watch? It means this, stay awake. Amen? 
I'll tell you, how many of you have fallen asleep in prayer? No confession time, okay? <laughs> all right, that's Dakota, I know you have, all right? And uh, we've all fallen asleep in prayer, amen? We've all, we've all been there. The, hey, listen, if the disciples fell asleep in prayer, what are we, right? I mean, they fell, they fell asleep in prayer when Jesus was right beside of them. I mean, talk about a dismal situation right there. But we've all done that. And so we have to be reminded, wake up. And here, this is where I struggle. I must admit that. I must admit that I may be faithful in my prayers, but is, are my prayers on fire? That's what it means. Are they on fire? Wearsby said this. I thought it was great. If it wasn't, I suppose I wouldn't say it. Uh, the incense offered to God was made by fire. The incense offered to God was made by fire, and it rose on the smoke of those flames. Psalm 141.2 says, and there is power, or excuse me, it says, let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and as the lifting up my hands as the evening sacrifice. And there must be a watchfulness, a watchfulness when we pray. There must be a fire when we pray. If not, if, we, if we're lifeless, sleepy prayers, then we probably will not have many of our prayers answered. Hannah, though she did not speak a word in her prayers, yet her heart was burning and tears streaming out of her eyes. Fiery prayers. I mean, Elijah, I mean, there's no more, uh, there's no more fiery prayer than Elijah. I mean, he prays a 64-word prayer and literally fire from heaven comes down. I mean, it was a fiery prayer that day. They said, man, the preacher preached, a, the preacher preached, he didn't have to preach, he just preached, a, he just prayed a fiery prayer. And man, it just fell down and God consumed the altar and the sacrifice and all the water that was around it. Look at the disciples, go back to them. Jesus said to this, he said, watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And what happened to them? They went into temptation because they did not watch and pray, they did not stay awake. They all fell into temptation because why? Because they had powerless prayers. We must learn to be watching and praying because we have an adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion. What does he say? He says, be sober, be vigilant. When you, where, you, where you need to be sober and vigilant at most of all? In your prayer closet, in your prayer life. Have fiery prayers. The devil is lurking and looking for sleepy-eyed Christians. He's looking for sleepy-eyed Christians. May we not be one. And then he says, be thankful in your prayers. He says, watch in the same with thanksgiving. Our prayers also ought to always include thanksgiving. We ought to always be thanking God. I believe the Bible teaches us that over in the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 100 and verse number 4 and 5 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. We ought to be thankful in our prayers. If we just simply thanked him for making heaven and earth, we could thank him all morning. And then if we proceeded on and went to his attributes and, taught, and, and thanked him for his mercy and his grace and his omniscience and his omnipresence, and, and if we went on and thanked him for his grace and, and his goodness and his kindness toward us, and then we thanked him for our families and we thanked him for our salvation, and uh, we could just spend all morning thanking God for what he's done for us. Our speech ought to be prayerful. And that it ought to be watchful, faithful, thankful, and purposeful. 
We ought not pray, Lord, bless the missionaries, but we ought to pray specifically. Sometimes you'll ask somebody, you'll say, can I pray for you about anything? Sometimes people will say, oh, nothing. I'm good. Everything's all right. I've talked to people like that. I've talked to Christians like that. I probably have even been guilty of saying it myself. But that usually demonstrates this is that we don't have a prayer life. Because if somebody were to ask you, can I pray for you about something? A true prayer warrior will have something on his heart. Because he's been praying about it. Because she's been praying about it. It might not be them. They might not have a specific need. But it might be a relative. It might be a situation that they know of of somebody else. But when we're asked, can I pray for you? May we have something in our hearts because we're praying. Because we are praying. Paul had no issue with sharing his heart and with telling others his prayer requests because he was a praying man. He was a praying man. And that's what I'm always, and and when I find a, a missionary letter, I'm always looking for the prayer request. When I read one, I'm always looking for the, I'm always looking, where's the prayer request? Where is something I can pray for? Where is some, where's a, where's the name of somebody that needs to be saved? Where is somebody that just got saved that needs to grow? Uh, what's a financial need that they have? What's a sickness? What's a problem? Let's pray for these things. Paul asked for prayers that the doors would be open to preach the gospel. And isn't it interesting that he didn't pr- say, would you pray that I'd get out of jail? Notice what it says here in Colossians 2. He says, for which I am also in bonds. I'm in jail right now. He didn't say, pray for me that I'd get out of jail. Now, how many of you tonight, if you wrote a letter and you were in prison for preaching the gospel, you'd say, pray for me that I'd get out of jail. Amen? (laughs) That's what I'd pray. I wouldn't be as spiritual as Paul. I can just go ahead and confess to you right now. But Paul says, no, 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 no. He says, pray that the door of utterance, and the door of utterance was opened unto him because we read in the book of Romans that many of Caesar's household are now saved. How did that happen? Because here was a man that ministered in the place that God put him at. It didn't matter if it was in the church house or in the jail house. So our speech should be characterized by prayer, but it should also be characterized by preaching. By preaching. And I don't mean that you stand up and preach a 45-minute sermon. But I just mean like you talk, like John did. Talk to Michael here today. He spoke to him. He talked to him. He talked to him about the gospel. He told him, hey, Michael, have you considered God anymore? That's a great conversation starter. Preaching, our speech should be characterized by this. How much of your language and my language is used to tell the others about Jesus Christ? How much of your language and my language is used to tell somebody else about Jesus Christ? 5%? 10%? What percentage level is it? I don't know what a good percentage is. I really don't. I'm not here to judge you on that. Judge yourselves. Amen? We ought to all be able to judge ourselves and say to ourselves, what's a good percentage level? Where should I be at? I would say this, if you're at 0%, that's probably not a good level, amen, <laughs> for any of us. 
But we ought to all have some kind of percentage in our life where we're working toward, maybe we've got a goal to say, you know what, I want, I want to tell more people about Jesus Christ. How many people have you told about Christ? Paul says here in our text, in verse number 3, he says, Pray for us that a door of utterance would be opened unto us. The word utterance there means speech. Uh, pray for us that we'd be able to preach the gospel. We'd be able to tell others about Jesus Christ. We'd be able to lift up the name of Jesus and let other people know that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Uh, tell people, tell others. Are you advertising Jesus Christ to other people? Notice Paul's advice on this. He says to them, he says, look for opportunities. He says, pray for us that the door of utterance would be opened unto us. You know, that's what we all should be doing with our speech. We should be looking for avenues and places to spit the gospel in, in different areas of our life. In different scenarios, different situations. He says a little bit later on in verse number 6, or excuse me, verse number 5, he says, redeeming the time. That means buy, buy the time back. Get it back. Make good use of your time. Find good use of your time. Do you use your time wisely to tell other people about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or do you squander it away? If you're waiting somewhere and not doing anything, do you squander the time away on your phone or, or talking or, or watching TV when you could possibly tell somebody about the gospel or give them a gospel? What do we do? Challenge yourself. Think about yourself. Ask yourself. Compare yourself to the Lord and to the Word of God and to Paul the Apostle here. Let us be careful with what we do. Let us look for opportunities to tell people about Jesus Christ the Lord. And then give it out. Then give it out. Just yesterday, I was, um, I had, we, had a, we had somebody come up here to do some work at the church. And um, when they came up here... Um, he was talking to me, and I said, hey, how's it going? Doing okay? Yeah, we're doing all right. I know the guy. I've talked to him several times and tried to witness to him and, uh, and everything, giving him some tracks and some books, and he's read the things and everything. Still not a Christian yet, and, um, but pray for him. His name's Gary, and, uh, but I was talking to Gary, and, and he said, yeah, everything's going on, and he said, he said, yeah, it's just a little rough at home with marriage and everything. Then he just kind of went on, you know. What was that? That was an opportunity. You know, people don't just open up to you about their home life for no reason as a Christian. I hope you know that by now. We ought to be mature enough in the faith to realize that when somebody opens up to us about a personal problem at home or, or maybe an addiction or maybe a, 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 a sin or something that they're struggling with and you're a Christian, that is an opportunity. That is a door that they're, that they're, they're opening up for you. Because they want you to say something. They're looking for something. They're looking for some help. And they might not even know it, what they're looking for. And they might not even know what they need. But they know that you're different. And so they might not right out say to you, could you, you know, you know here we go. Here we are, the Philippian jailer, you know, spring into action. He springs in, right? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Most people are probably not going to say that to you. Okay, you know, Caleb's not going to be walking down, you know, Lowe's aisle, and he's going to, you know, somebody's not going to pop out aisle 35 and just say, you know, boom, right in front of him. What am I going to do, Caleb? You know what I mean? To be saved. And most likely not going to happen. But you know what they are going to do is just like that happened to me yesterday. And say, yeah, I'm really having some issues at home. Yeah, my kids are just, you know, 
I don't know what to do, try to raise them right, and, you know, they're, all, they're you know, in a drug rehab facility right now. Right, that's an opportunity. That's what that is. Don't miss it. Give them the gospel. Give it out. Tell them. Look for opportunities. Give out the gospel. Let them know what God is doing in your life, and then tell them that God can do it in their life. And then make it clear. Amen? That's what he says in verse number four, that I may make it manifest, that is open, that is the gospel. I want the gospel to be open, manifest, clear, explainable. I don't want it to be this hogwash, kind of just mishmash, you know, just kind of, well, this is what it is or might be or, well, Jesus might be the way, but if he doesn't work out for you, I understand or all those kinds of things. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. Be clear, be upfront, be honest about the gospel. Amen. Let's not, let's, not be, uh, let's, let's not be unclear or as clear as mud, as they say sometimes in the South. You know, that's just about as clear as mud. Y'all do understand clear as mud, right? All right it's not very clear. Right? Not a very clear thing. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's turn to the sister epistle of Ephesians. Ephesians is the sister epistle to Colossians. In Ephesians chapter 6, in verse number 19, Paul says, And for me, and again, this is another prayer request of Paul, to the Ephesians, and for me, and it sounds very similar, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Here he says that I might have a bold speech. Not just a clear speech, but a bold speech. And when you are bold, you also have to be clear. Like I said, you don't have to preach to them 45 minutes, but... Be clear about it. Spend some time practicing giving the gospel to somebody in front of the mirror for five minutes. You ever done that? That that will not be a waste of time. Spend five minutes in front of the mirror giving somebody the gospel. Who are you giving it to? Yourself, all right? Practice. Memorize some scripture that go along with the gospel. Ask pointed questions. Get them thinking. Don't Don't make accusations. Give questions. Questions bring conviction. Questions bring conviction. Ask questions. Ask questions. And if they ask you a question and you don't know it, don't make something up. Okay? Tell them I'll get back with you. And you know what that is? Just be thank, thank, don't be embarrassed that you don't know the answer. Just tell God, thank you, I didn't know the answer, so I get to go back to them again and tell them the gospel again. Amen? That's what you're doing. And it won't be awkward this time. You know how it was awkward the first time to talk to them about the gospel? You know, that was weird. You know, here's this dude coming up to me talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And why are they? Now they've asked you a question. You don't know the answer. Now you can come back up to it. It's not awkward. It's not weird anymore. Hey, I found an answer to your question. Can we talk about that? Yeah, let's get together Thursday and we'll talk about it. So make it clear. And then I just threw this in here for my own well, not just for my own personal sake, but also because it just, he says it here. He says in verse number two, he says, continue in prayer. He says, with all praying for us also. Hey, pray for your pastor. Would you pray for your pastor? Don't ever say, well, pastor, the, that, the least I can do for you is pray for you. No, that's the most you can do for me. The most you can do for me is pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for my family. If I could ask one thing of people today, of our church, is this, is that I would ask you to pray for me. Pray for me. 
I need your prayers. Pray that I'll be able to have opportunities to tell other people about Jesus Christ. Pray that I'll give out the gospel and make it clear. And pray that I'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and with the power of God. So when I do preach. And then finally, we'll see here tonight that not only should our speech be seasoned with preaching, but it should also be pleasurable speech. It should be pleasurable speech. And the word here that he tells us in verse number 5 and 6, he says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to all to answer every man. See, the whole thing is dealing with our speech. How we ought to answer a man, how we ought to preach to him, how we ought to pray. It's all about our speech, our speech, our speech. What is our speech like? And our speech should be pleasurable, it should be gracious, it should be good speech. Your speech should be always seasoned with salt. It should be seasoned with grace. Don't let it be crude and rude speech. As he says over in the book of, uh, back to the sister epistle again in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse number 30, where it says, uh, or verse number 29, where it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of thy mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Don't let your speech be rude and crude. Don't let it be corrupt. Don't let it be ungodly. Check your language before it leaves the mouth. You know what? I was thinking about this. Our language, our speech ought to be like the luggage when you go to the airport. Before you're able to get to the other side through the safety check, you've got to put your luggage through the x-ray machine and let it be examined. And before you say something, you ought to examine it before it comes out. A lot of times we have no filter from here to here, you know. And we don't, let, we don't process things. We need to process things before it comes out. Because once it comes, up, it comes out, you can't put it back in, right? You can't get them. They're out. They're done. Dr. Will Houghton was the pastor of Atlanta Baptist Tabernacle, obviously in Atlanta. He went on to, I believe, be the president of Moody Bible College. But he was challenged one day on his character, but unbeknownst to him. He was a good preacher, he was a good pastor, and he had a, uh, he had a great reputation in the community, but there was one businessman that just could not believe that Dr. Houghton had such a wonderful character. And so he went so far, as, and it's a true story, I wouldn't believe it unless, unless, uh, unless I'd read it myself, is that Dr. Houghton, this man had actually hires a private eye to follow Dr. Houghton around for three solid weeks. The private eye comes back to the uh, to the to the to the businessman, and he tells him at the end it was determined that the pastor, and this is how he said, the pastor was what he preached. He was what he preached. As a result, that businessman came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But what would happen if somebody followed us around for several weeks? Would your testimony hold up? Or would our speech betray us? Would our testimony hold up? Would we be able to bear the pressure? Or would we crack? He says in this Holy Spirit inspired letter, he says, walk with wisdom towards those that that are without. That doesn't mean outside the doors, folks. That means people that are not saved. You need and I need to walk with wisdom towards those that are without 
the church of the living God. Because if your talk doesn't match your walk, then people are just not going to believe you. When you don't pay, you, you, you lose your testimony when you don't pay your bills. A church member was in a store one day and a clerk said to him, he said, you know Mr. So-and-so? And he said, oh yeah, yeah, I know him. He said, did he go to church with you? The man kind of looked at them fellow and said, yeah. He said, well, he hasn't paid his bill in over six months here. He said, every time we try to talk to him about it, I mean, I mean he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's as slippery as a fish. We can't get a hold of him. At that moment, the church member knew that he had no witness with the man. Not only had Mr. So-and-so destroyed his own witness, but he'd also hurt the witness of the church that he was going to. Your bad behavior may result in you and others losing a chance to be a witness. Let your talk of Jesus Christ and your walk match up. They've got to match. Listen, folks, the world is smarter than we put the, than we let them than we think they are. The world is smart. And sometimes the world has more discretion and more discernment than Christians do. And it's sad. But they can see somebody that's real, and they can see a Christian who says they're a Christian that they're not real. Do you not think that the world is looking at your Facebook page? Do you not think the world is listening to the way you talk? Do you not think the world is noticing the people you're with? Do you not think the world sees that? Because the moment you you put yourself as a Christian, I'll tell you what, you are pegged. You are pegged right away to this world. Immediately. You associate yourself... I don't care if you don't put out there that you go to Scenic Hills Baptist Church or you do this or you do that. I'm just saying, if you associate yourself with God or Christ or anything, you're immediately pegged by the world and the world has immediately got their eye on you. And they're watching you. you say, they just want to see me mess up. No, I really think the world wants to see somebody that's actually real and really believes what the Bible says. And then maybe they'll listen to what you have to say. He says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Don't say, take this with a grain of salt. I tell you, our speech needs a lot more than a grain. Amen? Man, you just put a grain of salt on a and a, and a batch of green beans, I'm not a cook, but I can tell you right now, it's not going to be tasty very good. I've watched my wife cook green beans enough, all right? I know what, I know you got to dump some salt in there. I know when you cook some steaks, anybody ever been to Texas Roadhouse? I always wondered how they cook such good steaks at Texas Roadhouse. Then I watched them. They take like a jug, jug, a jug of salt and that special seasoning, and they just like dump it on top of it, you know? <laughs> And they flip it over and they dump it on the other side, you know. And I was like, that's how it tastes so good. And so I started doing that with my steaks. I started just 
dumping salt and pepper on top of them, just spreading it all over the thing, man. Oh, man, I started having really good steaks then, you know. It's delicious. But he says, make sure you do it right. I mean, sometimes people are too salty. I heard somebody told me that's a term now, you know what I mean? A little salty right there. But you can be too salty. He says in verse number 6, he says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. And I'll finish with this and just say this very plainly. Is that your speech ought to be flavorful. It also sometimes needs to be used in a preservation sense. But it always, your speech needs to have discretion. When you're witnessing to somebody or talking to somebody that's lost, You've got to make sure that sometimes your speech needs to be very flavorful. Very flavorful. But sometimes there has to be some preservation too. And you're going to have to use discretion on which times and how much salt to use. You don't put as much salt in green beans as you do in beef jerky. So be careful on how you talk to people. Understand how you talk to people, especially lost people. But speak the truth in love. As it says in Ephesians 14, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. What's the point of everything I'm telling you tonight? The point is this, is that Jesus' speech was prayerful, It was preaching, and it was pleasurable. And we ought to mimic the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ought to go after him. He is our leader. We ought to want to, we ought to be like the little kid that says to his dad, looks up to him and he says, Daddy, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. That's what we ought to do with Jesus. He says it right there. That's what he says. He says, may grow up into him in all things. We ought to say, Jesus, I want to grow up to be like you. I want to grow up to be like you, Jesus. I want my speech to be prayerful. I want my speech to have preaching in it. I want my speech to, uh, to be pleasurable and good and, and kind and gracious. I don't want my speech to be malicious and hateful and ungodly and rude. Let us follow our representative, and let us follow Christ in our speech. Father, we're thankful for your word.